Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Thomas Nashatka is a music teacher at West Middle School in Shakopee, Minnesota, where he is completing his 14th year of teaching. At West, Thomas teaches instrumental and classroom music to students in grades 6 through 8, primarily focusing on music technology and composition through the use of the school's one-to-one learning environment. Thomas received his Master of Music degree in music education, as well as his Bachelor of Music degree in both music education and saxophone performance at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. He has presented sessions on teaching music in the one-to-one learning environment at state conferences in Michigan, Minnesota, Iowa, and Florida, as well as to college music education courses at Michigan State University, Capital University of Ohio, University of St. Thomas, and Augsburg University, both in Minnesota. Prior to teaching in Shakopee, Thomas taught instrumental and classroom music in Brattleboro, Vermont. It's a great pleasure to have Tom join us today. So, Tom, it's great to uh, talk to you again after all these years. I believe the first time I met you was at a a course I was teaching in music technology at Central Connecticut State University. It was during the summer. And I remember uh, that you taught in Brattleboro, Vermont. And then when I found out later that you moved to Minnesota, I thought, what a really cool uh, kind of uh, move. And and I'd love to start out by just asking you, you know, you've taught for a while now. What are the differences between teaching in kind of a rural Vermont uh, uh, area and then, you know, in Shakopee and kind of uh, suburban Minneapolis? Yeah, it's great to connect with you again, too, Jim. I think that was back in, um, I was looking at my calendar the other day. I think that was back in 2013 at Central. Wow. Quite a while ago. Yeah. And yeah, I was teaching in Brattleboro, Vermont, which was an incredible, incredible community in which to work. Um, Big artist community and such great support for just art in all of its manifestations. So um, very, a very creative and very um, community-based districts to work in. And they really valued, you know, everything that, that all of the teachers in general, and especially the music and art teachers were bringing to the community. Yeah. Um, so I worked there for quite a while. In my final three years of working there, my now husband was working on his PhD in music education at Michigan State University. And when we were sort of negotiating how the logistics of that whole thing was going to work out, um, we decided that we were going to live apart separately while he was in grad school. And I stayed living in Massachusetts and working in Vermont. And he did his PhD in three years. And then we sort of made the deal, um, you know, deciding that wherever he ended up with his first college gig, I would just move out to the area and find a teaching job. And that, and that is in fact what happened. Um, he ended up at Augsburg University, which is a, it's a smaller university in downtown Minneapolis, um, right across from the University of Minnesota. So okay. I, I, you know, I worked on getting my Minnesota teaching license and um, ended up in Shakopee. Um, 
And, and it is quite different from Vermont. As you know, you know, most communities in Vermont are pretty rural. Brattleboro has about 13,000 people in the community itself. Shakopee has about 41,000. So just the sheer amount of students and the sheer amount of people that I was around in Minnesota was, was a really big difference. Yeah. I remember uh, three years ago when I first started, or two years ago when I first started, um, I just remember everything seemed a lot bigger and just a lot sort of um, trendier in the sense that there were just a lot more people that were doing specific things and a lot more people that were participating in bands and in choir and different activities and just you know being in a suburban environment um and having different resources available to them that that the students in vermont didn't have because the you know the closest largest city was several hours away whereas you know you're 20 minutes away in shakopee yeah you know those those are kind of the differences um but yeah it's it's i i feel really grateful to have had the experience teaching in both of those those very different communities it's i think it's made me a a more well-rounded teacher Okay, that's great. So you're at West Middle School? Is I am, right? yeah. It's one of two middle schools. Yeah, they're both six to eight buildings, and, and I'm at West Middle School, yeah. So tell us about your music program. You know, how many kids do you have? What do you do? And, and what are your goals there? Sure. So in West Middle School, there are about 1,200 kids in the school, um, and about half of them participate in ensemble music, which is cool. So they've got wow. about 600 participants there, yeah. When I was first hired in Shakopee, I was actually in a different building. I was in the Pearson Sixth Grade Center, and I was actually hired as, as the sixth grade band director. So I wasn't teaching any classroom music, and <clears throat> the expectation of, of integrating music technology was pretty nil. Um, and I knew going into it that in the third year that the sixth grade center was actually going to close and they were going to farm us all out into other buildings because they moved the ninth graders into the high school and they were moving the sixth graders into the two middle schools. So I got moved over to West. So it's a six to eight building. Uh, like I said, 600 in ensemble music, about three to 350 in classroom music technology. So I teach a sixth grade class called music production. Um, and all sixth graders are required to take a music course, whether that's band or choir or band and choir. And if you don't do ensemble music, you take music production um, okay. and the name of the class is a little bit of a misnomer from when I when it was first given to me as an assignment I thought it was going to be a, a like a music production class using music production software and doing those sorts of things but it's actually um, a, a sixth grade version of general music I've managed to put some more technology into it than was there before so it's exploring the elements of music through various activities through bucket drumming through guitar um, using virtual instruments and creating iPad ensembles and then doing some of the more um, music production per se projects. And then I teach a seventh and eighth grade class that, that is just a riot to teach. It's called drop a beat. Oh, and, cool. I love it. Yeah. yeah it, it's a lot of fun. And it's, um, it's, you know, really teaching the elements of music that the district has, has defined are part of the guaranteed curriculum through music technology and through the electronic medium. And we are one-to-one with iPads. So um, for years that they had been using GarageBand as the primary software for that. Um, and this year, as um, a result of a grant from the Shakopee Educational Excellence Foundation, I was able to, you know, get Soundtrap and work with music first, um, which has been really great um, to be able to use Soundtrap. Oh, it's terrific. So, yeah. Very so, cool. So very different, very different um, kind of teaching uh, responsibilities. I love the name Drop a Beat. I think that is a very cool name. I, I hope our listeners are listening. Yeah, I wish name. that I could. I wish that I could claim credit for that. That was that was my awesome predecessor who taught it to you. Uh, very cool. But yeah, I, I would have loved that to you know take credit for that. So let me ask you, Tom. Um, you know, what, first of all, what is your major instrument? Saxophone. So uh, I love asking this question. Like, how did you get into technology? I mean, was it kind of a you know, a, a, 
an interest you always had? Was it a necessity? Tell us about tell us about that aspect. Like, what got you interested in integrating? Yeah, I love. I love telling the story because actually teaching with technology and even teaching classroom music was probably the last thing I ever wanted to do as a, as a career goal. Um, when I was in college, I, I double majored in music education and performance, and I, I really wanted to be a middle school band director. That's, that's really what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. And I got the job in Brattleboro, and it was, it, it was only the best community in the entire world to work in because it was so supportive of music. And I, I was given so much latitude um, as a band director to get students for lessons whenever I, whenever I needed to, or to, you know, really do what I wanted to do with the program. And it was such a great job. And I loved every aspect about it, except for this eighth grade general music class that I had to teach. Um, and I just felt like it was the kiss of death. I had never even taken a secondary class or music class before. And I had the double edged sword of being told that I could do whatever I wanted with it. <laughs> uh, which, which was great because I had all that freedom, but like, I just felt like I didn't have direction. And the great part about having so much support was whatever I came up with for an idea, they were totally willing to support me with it. So for a few years, I tried all these different things. I tried doing jazz music and, and tried to do popular music, world drumming, stuff that I thought was, you know, might be successful, but I could just tell the kids weren't digging it. And it was just really getting me down. Like it was kind of like this one just just dark moment on my day whenever I had to teach that class. And, and I, I felt a little bit of a failure because I had this other part of my job that was so successful, but this was just not going well. Um, and one day I happened to have been thinking about this while I was heading into Boston to run a road race. And I was on the train, on the T, on the red line heading in. And I happened to have been thinking about this. And I looked around at the 45 other people in the subway car with me, and I saw that they all had earbuds in their ears, and they were all listening on their you know, iPods were the big thing at the time. They were right, all right. listening to their iPods, except for me, the loser music teacher who didn't have his earbuds in. So <laughs> I was so I looked over at them and I thought, oh my god, they're all having separate musical experiences right now, and it was just so much fun to people watch and to think about this. And I thought to myself my kids all have devices. I'm constantly telling them to take their earbuds out of their ears. Like if I can get into their device, that's a really powerful way of, of meeting them where they are. And, um, as I ran the race, I, I seemed to solve all my life's issues when I'm running. So as I, as I was running the race, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be really cool if I could take that general music class and turn it into some sort of an, an electronic music class where we really use um, composition and we use um, production to really get kids interested in music and, and to try to spark more interest. So I brought it to my principal the next week. I said, hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Can we brainstorm together? And she was really psyched about the idea. She thought it was really fantastic. So we had some laptop carts available to us and um, she purchased Mixcraft for me. And um, we got it on a laptop cart and, and I used your book, your teaching music with GarageBand and Mixcraft and, you know, developed a, a digital music curriculum for those eighth graders. And it was so, I had so much fun, Jim. It was just a riot to teach. Um, watching the kids just get really excited about being really creative about, you know, listening to music that they liked to listen to and composing in the same ways that that really mirrored their own musical interests. It got me excited. It got them excited. I, I would sit down and I would do projects with them. Like I, right. I would find a project and I would sit down and I would compose with them. And it was, it, it was just so much fun. And it became one of the more requested classes. Um, and I really have kind of evolved my thinking, um, especially recently, you know, with, with really encouraging student creativity to thinking more now about how do we develop um, student musicianship skills? through 
electronic music and through music technology? Like, how do we really take student creativity and and really um, cultivate and develop musicianship skills? Because it's really it's coming from a, a more traditional background of 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 band and choir and, and being brought up as a saxophone player. I, I think about that a lot. I think about what does it mean to be a good musician? So that's kind of my, what I really endeavor to think about now when I teach is, is how can I help these kids become great musicians on the, on the electronic music medium? It, it, it's just really exciting. So. Well, I, I have to say that it, it is extremely encouraging to hear you talk that way. Uh, it is, it is definitely what I've been trying to tell people for, for over, mm-hmm. for a few decades now. So uh, I think I think it is an absolutely um, it's essential to kids uh, in that specifically in that age group uh-huh. uh, that they have something like a music class where they can express their creativity. I don't know if you ever had the same experience that I did. I mean, Mixcraft is a fantastic piece of software for PC. Yeah. It's like the GarageBand for PCs. Yeah. When, whenever I would first show my students GarageBand or Mixcraft. I almost always had the same experience after after about two minutes of them being able to play, many of them would turn to and look at me with almost like a thank you look. Yes. Eyes, like this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And when you have that, I think it's like, you know, it's the, the, the Pied Piper kind of uh-huh. thing. It's like, all right, come with me into the world of, you know, creativity and see how much fun this can be. And I think those tools like Soundtrap, like GarageBand, Mixcraft, really whatever tool you use, it doesn't matter. Uh, as yeah. long as you're giving kids those opportunities and, and, and they like what they hear when they're, when they're composing. So it's great it's, to hear. Absolutely. It is that and it's that, that response of, wow, I can do this too. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's really, it, it seems really accessible to them and, and it gets them really excited about it. Uh, soon, so soon thereafter, when I started teaching this class, it was the, I think the next year we went one-to-one with Chromebooks. And, you know, and that's when I started becoming more interested in, in obviously getting something cloud-based. And that's when I think I first, um, first contacted Music First. To, that's right. You know. you, so you had Music First when you were teaching in Brattleboro, correct? Yes. Yes. So we were, we went to one-to-one with Chromebooks. I want to say it was in the 2012-2013 school year. Might yeah. have been the following year, maybe 13-14. But it was around the time when I actually took that class with you at CCSU. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I had been using, so I, I contacted you, and I did, you had a different name before Music First, right? It was something about teaching in the cloud, something about music in the cloud. So I had, um, a, I had a, the course I, I taught was called Teaching Music in the Cloud, but Music First was like the company that I ran. Oh, okay. The company I run. So yeah, that, that course got, I ran a, a huge, what at the time they were called MOOCs. I, right, I ran right. a gigantic 700 people in a course called Teaching Music in the Cloud. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting to hear that again. I, I haven't thought about it in a while. <laughs> so, why don't you, I, so you're, you used it in Brattleboro. You're using mm-hmm. it now in Shakopee. Why don't you talk about, you know, some of the things that you're doing with it? Because it, it, it's exciting to hear this. Sure. Yeah. So in Brattleboro, um, I'll start off there just to go chronologically. Um, when we went one-to-one in 2013, um, we started using Soundation. So I started... My, sort of migrating that digital music class to eighth grade over into Soundation um, and, and doing some of the same projects that we were doing in Soundation. But the course became so big that I opened up a seventh grade section of the course called Music Tech. And I, I had so much fun teaching that. So what I tried to create in Music Tech using the Music First um, software applications was this longitudinal composition process. So we started out, I, I went back and 
took out some of the materials that I used a few years ago with the, um, the world drumming. So we started a world drumming unit and got kids thinking creatively with creating um, and composing rhythms in the world drumming setting. And then I would bring them into note flight. And then I would teach them standard notation and I would have them compose for the, the, the drum circle in note flight. So they would get that experience in using um, the technology for standard notation. And one thing, just as an aside, that I thought was really interesting when I was teaching them note flight was how excited they got to do standard like rhythmic dictation exercises. You add technology for whatever reason, they just loved it. Yeah, I, I get it. I hated when I was in, you know, when I was in middle school, but they, Me too. <laughs> if, if they loved it, I wasn't going to argue with them. So, so they would take, they would take whatever they composed for the drum circle. They would uh, work on their compositions in note flight. And then we'd go even further and I would take them into foundation and then they would produce whatever they, their composition. So they saw the composition process work in this longitudinal way through all these different sensibilities through, you know, creating their own notation system by hand and then going into note flight and then going into foundation. So that was a seventh grade version of the class. Uh, cool. In eighth grade, like I said, I, I used a lot of the projects that we were using originally in um, with Mixcraft. Um, and I just, got the kids really thinking about where, where do they encounter music in their lives and where are they most likely to, to get those ideas of inspiration in music. So, you know, starting up from small projects, you know, really hammering home the elements of music through form, pitch, rhythm, um, putting formal assignments together, you know, putting music in different forms, uh, using the virtual instruments to develop some, um, just some technique as far as that's concerned. Um, and then moving into, you know, some larger things with, um, you know, creating silent, film soundtracks using um, Soundation and Wii Video and doing some of those things. And then creating um, music for video games as well. So just taking, you know, um, video games that they like to play and what would, what would be really effective here and just getting them to really think about, you know, the action on screen and how that music really affects them as gamers and as listeners. Um, and then when I got to Shakopee this year, when I was given the, the music um, production class and the drop a beat class, uh, the music production class, I really wanted them to get the skills of playing, um, of, of having their, um, using their iPads as an instrument and using their iPads in an iPad ensemble in class. And we, we have used GarageBand for that. But um, so that's been a really interesting a really interesting endeavor that I've, that I've taken them through in that sixth grade class and, and that seventh and eighth grade class that drop a beat class. I've done a lot of the similar things that I did in Brattleboro, except I've added a DJing unit as well. Oh, um, cool. So that's, that's been a riot as well. So, you know, just trying to get the kids just thinking in different ways as far as that's concerned. But one of the things that when I talk about developing musicianship skills, um, we do a lot of listening. Um, a lot of listening to electronic music and, and giving the students really this kind of worldview about how electronic music is used both in popular culture and, in, and even in some classical forms. And we listen every class and we talk about what we hear and we talk about the options that we have available to us in Soundtrap. And, you know, in your last um, podcast episode, uh, you were talking with the gentleman from Australia that really that kind of throws the kids in the deep end and has them, you know, use, doing kind of that Lucy Green um, informal popular music stuff. And it's cool to kind of do that on the um, music technology end of things too. Like listen, like listen to this music. Can you replicate any of this? Um, and really use your listening and, and use your musicianship skills to really be able to create something that's inspired by what you're hearing. Um, and when I think about how does musicianship manifest itself in the electronic medium and in the music technology medium? I think it, it comes in that sort of a form. It comes in the form, can students use 
Um, can they use correct vocabulary when they're talking about music? Can they use, can they engage in really meaningful conversation with each other and with me about what they're hearing and about how they can take the things that they're hearing and use that in their compositions? And that's, you know, whether they take another music class after this or not, they will be music consumers. And it's, it's really important to me that they can use that musicianship in their consumerism as well. You know, just kind of thinking about the future. I, I absolutely, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tom, no. but I absolutely love the idea of them listening and then going and experimenting and try to recreate. Because if you think about it, so I'm, I'm nearly 50. And when I was a kid and I, and I listened to rock and roll or stuff that I wanted to play on a keyboard, uh-huh. I, I simply, there, I didn't have enough money when I was a kid to go to a sheet music store and buy the sheet music for it. I, I would try to learn it by ear. And then yep. when I heard, for example, uh, Van Halen's uh, 1984 album with Jump, I, I must have spent two weeks trying to find the right sound on my old Juno 106, trying to get that... Yeah. Um, that brass sound that they had. And so it's really, you're just kind of replicating a time-honored tradition of kids listening and then trying to play what they hear or trying yeah. to create what they hear. I absolutely love the concept. And they have they have those tools available to them. So I, I, I think if I don't do that, I'm missing this incredible opportunity to really, again, just thinking about those musicianship skills being developed. It's, it's, it's you know, it's so good for them. And it's, it, to me, it would be a missed opportunity if I didn't do something like that. Do you ever do like a class activity where you play a track uh, and then say, let's try and figure out, you know, I, it's, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of somebody doing it. I just, I love the idea. Have you done yeah, like sometimes, that? Yeah. Sometimes I'll put something, I'll start with me just putting something together. Sometimes I'll just, I'll take two loops in Soundtrap and I'll just put them together and I'll just say, okay, here it is, or, or I'll post it on Canvas, which is our LMS, and I'll just say, all right, listen to it ad nauseum and figure out what I did. Go. Very cool. It's, such, know, a, it's such a simple concept, but it's such a good it's such a good thing for the kids to try and figure. I'm sure they love it, right? Because if yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, they either love it or they don't love it. I mean, the, right. kids that, the kids that catch on to it quickly love it. And, you know, the kids that have a tough time. And, you know, it, you just you provide the supports where they need it. And, and, but it's, it, it's great fun. And it's fun to watch them evolve too. And it's fun to watch them improve and to, and you know, to be able to just kind of be their champion through that. So yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and so are, are any of the, um, I'm interested cause I, I think I, re, in, a, in an earlier conversation with you, we were talking about the importance of choir, uh, mm. being, you know, in, in specifically in, in the area that you teach and are any of the um, performances ensemble groups at your school now using any type of technology or is it primarily uh, these classes that you're teaching? Uh, it's primarily the classes that I'm teaching. I think um, a lot of the band and choir students, um, we have an expectation to use Canvas as our LMS. So yeah. a lot of times in those situations, um, the band and choir directors will have the students record themselves doing practice reflections or scale tests or, or any singing tests that they have, have them record it to Canvas and then submit it as a media file. And then they'll assess them right in there. So they'll oh. use that way. Uh, when I was in Brattleboro, um, the band and choir directors did use Music First software. Um, the choir director used Aurelia and um, the band director was using uh, Note Flight and Soundation as well. So it's, it's, I know that there, you know, in Vermont, there, were, there was a lot of technological use. Um, and, and I can't speak to the high school in my district. I, I'm not right. sure. What they do. But um, so that's how they're using technology at West, at least. In Got the- it. And so um, uh, the, the student work itself, um, mm-hmm. does that ever see the light of day outside of their classroom? Are they, 
when they're composing, do they ever think about sharing it with the rest of the world on, on sites like SoundCloud? Or is it just the, you know, this experience they're having with you and then it, that, that's kind of where it ends? Yeah, because they're young and because many of them are under 13, um, I haven't put a lot of the stuff up on SoundCloud. Right. I do, they do play drop a beat projects over the loudspeaker in school during passing time. And Very like cool. That. Um, one of the things that I'm that I'm trying to get done it's just when the students get more confidence in their DJing skills and I, and I know that's something different than their compositions but um, one of my goals is to have them DJ lunch period um, and you know just getting the kids out there doing that sort of thing so um, but I do know that a lot of kids on their own social media profiles will post their projects for class and 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 you know display them that way which is which is really great fun for them and it's a source of pride for a lot of them so absolutely um what what just total uh 90 degree turn here but what what software are you using for the dj stuff is are you using udj or or is it something proprietary to the ipad so we're using udj as as kind of a way for them to practice their sets when they're at home um but we have a uh, pioneer ddj 400 controller that comes with record box Oh, cool. um, so I'm using that. So I've got a, um, a separate laptop that I use, a separate MacBook that I use for that. So um, the students, they sign up for 10 minute, 10 to 20 minute slots during class. So they, you know, I, I only have a 50 minute class period every day to work with them. So they, they go off into my office and they work on a DJ set. And I have a, I have a guide that they have to use. They have to use, you know, a certain number of scratches. They have to use, you know, they have to adjust the EQ somewhere. They have to do a fade. They have to do all these different things. So they'll work on that. And then at the end of class, they'll perform their DJ set for the class, um, which is cool. And some of them really get into it and they try to do the DJ moves and everything. And it's, it's, it's hysterical to see, but um, yeah. So it's, it's making sure that they can perform for their peers, even if it's just for the class. So. And then the, like some of the best of the best go and do that in the cafeteria. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. Um, none of them have been willing to do it yet. I don't want to force them to do it. Um, but that's, I, I have a feeling with this semester's class, um, some of them are, are going to want to do it at the end of the semester. So that's cool. That's awesome. So you have these kids for uh, a marking period every single day? Because I'm sure a lot of people are like, how on earth can I do that with my kids? Yeah, so I have them every day for a semester. So I have two, two sections of the class a year. And uh, my first semester class was the first time I taught this particular class. And um, it was the first time I kind of threw them in the deep end with the DJing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's in order to get them to, to be able to do it, if, if they're not wanting to sign up for before or after school open DJ controller time, yeah, I've got to give them some time in class to get it done. But, you know, and a lot of them go in and, and it takes them the whole 20 minute slot to, you know, figure everything out. But as long as they're trying and as long as they're, they're meeting the very basic requirements and they've put in an effort, I mean, they're getting something out of it and they're, they're getting some basic understanding of how to operate a controller, um, which is cool. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's fun to watch them experiment with that. And um, later on this school year, we're partnering, we've got this great organization in downtown Minneapolis called the Slam Academy. Um, which trains both adults and school age kids in, you know, DJing techniques and music production techniques. And their CEO's name is uh, Dr. J. Anthony Allen. And um, he's going to be coming in and doing a couple master classes with us later this year. Wow. Both on DJing and, and you know, he's, he's quite a renowned composer himself. Um, his works are played around the world and he's going to be um, doing some workshops with my drop a beat kids um, in early May. So we're really, really excited about that. And the same grant that got us this music first stuff, for this year is also um, funding that as well. So, you know, we're incredibly thankful. Oh, that's fabulous. And, and uh, it's really cool. I love, and uh, I mean, when they're DJing, are they using commercially available tracks or are they mixing in some of their own stuff? I mean, what, I, I'm just fascinated. 
Yeah, so right now they're using commercially uh, available tracks. So I, I have a, a flash drive that I use that I've, I've gone through my own personal music collection and, and found stuff that's school appropriate, stuff that's okay for them to use because that, as you know, as time goes on, that's a lot harder to find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't have swears in it and, and everything. But if they send me an MP3 file, I can I can put it into their, yeah, I can get it ready for them. Um, but most kids are using streaming services right now, so that complicates things a yeah. bit. So a lot of times they have to, they're just kind of stuck with what I have. So I, I try to find music that's really exciting for them. So, but yeah, they have been using commercially available stuff. Um, I, I need to spend some more time to figure out how to get them to, use their own stuff um, and mix their own stuff. Cause I think that could be a really cool way to synthesize their compositions at the end is, you know, you've composed all this stuff and now you go out there and you do your own DJ set of stuff that you've put together. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's what a, what a, just a well-rounded way of, of going through the composition process and then going through a sort of a performance practice element of it, you know? It's very cool. I mean, the, the idea, I, I know you DJ, that's, that's the site that I, I, I shared it a couple of months ago with the music yeah. teachers and it went, everybody was like, Oh my God, it's such a cool website. And I know that I, you can upload your own music to it. So it'd yeah, be yeah. And that's it. So it's for me, it would be getting the, um, getting it into record box and getting the, yeah. know, and I'm, I'm positive there's a way to do it. I've just got to sit down and figure it out. But we use you DJ. If they want to practice at home, they can go on and they can pull the YouTube stuff yes. into the UDJ and they can, you know, they can practice their sets that way. I mean, it's not the same, obviously, but it, it gives them the next closest thing. So. So I'm sure that I mean, a lot of people are, are, I'm hoping the listeners are getting the, the, there's a theme that runs through these podcasts and mm. you know what I, uh, my whole point of talking to a, a, a various group of, of people is to show that um, no matter where you are in the world, where you, you know, what level you teach and, you know, your own personal technology expertise level, it's a worthwhile activity and, and the results can be really exciting and, and hearing yeah. about this, this stuff with the DJ. I didn't know you were doing that. It's, it's very cool. I, I'd love it if you can share your advice um, uh, on, you know, like, how do you, how did you learn this DJing thing? How, what, what advice would you give to other teachers who are considering doing, you know, something as crazy as going, you know, out of, almost on a tightrope and saying, all right, I'm going to yeah, try yeah. something. What advice would you give to other teachers? Uh, remember that you're a music teacher and that musical goals should always drive your technology use. And, that, you know, because it, it can be really intimidating. And what I just do, and I'm just really honest with my kids, like with the DJing stuff, uh, last semester when I implemented it for the first time, I said to them, Hey, listen, I'm learning right here with you. Like I want, I want to give you this opportunity. Like, I think this is something cool. I think this this is something that, that you would really get a lot out of. I never grew up with this. I don't have DJing experience. So I'm going to be learning right along with you. And the stuff that I've learned from them is, is way, you know, it's, it's way deeper and way richer than probably anything I could have learned on my own. So it's, and it, it's really powerful when the teacher becomes a student with their students. Um, so, and, and I think that's okay. And, and even with other aspects of teaching with technology, I'm never going to be you know, the technologists that my students are, I'm just, I'm never going to be there. They grew up with technology. I didn't, I might be the musical expert in the room and I have to always assume that role, but I, you know, I don't go in with, with an attitude about technology that I know everything. And one of the exciting things is if there's something specific that I need to know, I always ask them, Hey, can somebody show me a shortcut to do X, Y, or Z? And, you know, within 10 minutes, somebody already has the answer for me. Um, 
So whether you want to dip your toe in or you, whether you want to, you know, dive on the deep end, you know, technology really allows you to do where, you know, whatever you want to do with your own comfort level. And it gives you the opportunity to learn alongside your students. Which yeah, is- and I, I, I could not possibly agree more with what you just said. And that I think, and I've said this in an earlier podcast, I believe about, you know, we're always the, we are the experts in the room when it comes to music. But mm-hmm. I think teachers kind of when they're leery of using or, uh, you know, sc- nervous or scared to use technologies because they're not an expert in it. And, and that mm-hmm. doesn't always feel good. But I would, I would argue very strongly that students appreciate when teachers show vulnerability. Absolutely. That, that they're not, you know, the, the expert on everything. Mm-hmm. And I also feel that the best relationships that I had with students were the students that they were often the biggest discipline problems. Um, But when I would go to them to ask just simply, do you know how to do this on this program? Um, They just saw you in a totally different light that they're there to help you. And I almost always found that I turned the discipline problem kids around by recruiting them to help me with technology because often they're the kids that are like, you know, they're all over the computers because it's, I don't don't know if there's any kind of causal relationship between discipline problems and computers, (laughs) but the way I found it is that, that I really, my relationships with my students, um, when they saw that vulnerability, they, they kind of, not only did they give me a pass, you know, they, they thought it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Show you. Well, you're giving them some real bona fide ownership of, of the class. And that's, yeah. that's so powerful, especially they're often seen by their peers too in this, in this different light that, than they are when you give them that responsibility. So it's, it's, I think it's powerful in that way as well. So, so what, what, what projects are you working on right now with the kids, Tom? So in the drop a beat class, they're doing their first song in song form, uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus form. Um, it, it's really exciting just to see, you know, them just kind of evolve into um, just stronger composers in that way. Um, and I always give them, you know, at every step of the way, you know, all right, today you're composing your intro. This is what I want. This, this is the expectation. So it's a really workshop environment where I'll walk around the room. They'll come to me for, for musical advice. Um, and, you know, we kind of workshop through everything. And um, so that's, that's really exciting. Um, in my sixth grade classes that we're in fourth quarter now. So we're doing kind of an intro to drop a beat. So it's really getting them, um, you know, some basic DAW skills. Um, these are the loops. These are the virtual instruments. This is how you use them. This is how you use recording. So it's, it's getting them set up. So hopefully it'll recruit some kids for drop a beat next year. Um, so those are the things we're working on currently right now. So uh, very, very cool. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're almost out of time, Tom, and I just wanted to wrap up with a couple of last questions, if you don't mind. Um, so, uh, the, um, the, the, the question I ask everybody is, uh, the magic wand question. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. I, I have an idea after, after our conversation, what, what you might say, but if you could wave a magic wand and have either music first or music technology in general, do something that it doesn't do now for either you or for your students, what would it be? More DJ capabilities. Um, something similar, it, like if Music First could do something similar to like a UDJ platform, I think that would be amazing. Um, you know, something that's, that's, you know, UDJ is great and everything, but I feel like I can't supervise it enough. Like I, I feel like I, you know, it's, it's out there, kids can pull in, um, 
music that might not be appropriate. If right. there's some way to to create like a more, what, what do they call it in Soundtrap? A controlled garden or yeah, walled garden. Walled, walled garden. Yeah. If if we can if we could get some sort of like a like a UDJ type platform with a walled garden, that would that would be amazing. Um, so that would be the first thing that would come to mind. Absolutely. So just it's fascinating to me that because uh, you're the first uh, guest that I've had that have have, have talked about um, DJing stuff. Do you find that kids are just infinitely more excited about it than, than composing? Or I mean, or what are the differences with the, with the students? I think it's a different type of excitement. Um, I think they see DJing as a really viable thing because they, they've all gone to some sort of an event where there was a DJ. Um, or they'll, they're watching on TV and they're seeing it's cause we're kind of in an interesting place in just popular music culture where the DJ is really the artist right now and yeah. a lot of electronic music. So they're seeing that as something that's really tangible for them when you put a controller in front of them. Um, so it, it's a new experience. It's, I, I don't know if they're more or less excited per se than they are about composing music. I think I, I would say it's, it's, it's pretty much the same, but it's a different type of excitement. It's a, it's a really like wow, this is, this is this new thing. This is this new, I, I want to try this. I want to try the scratches. I want to try, you know. Um, but once they get over that initial um, excitement, it's, it's just like it is, you know, it's, it seems like it's another assignment and it seems like something else that's expected of them. And they, you know, and they do it just as they would any other project. Well, that's but, awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. So interestingly, or, or I should say anecdotally, mm-hmm. um, you know, whenever you look back at your own teaching career, um, and you say, well, I wonder what my students have done with music over time. Mm. The only, I have one student that I ever taught who is a professional musician in the traditional sense. Uh-huh. He's a professional horn player. Um, but I have five students from my school time, the time I spent in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, five students who are earning their living being professional DJs. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, and, and they are all around the New York City area. And they, one of them was just down at the Miami Music Festival this past weekend. Oh, nice. Uh, it's, it is, it, I think it's an important thing for music educators to realize that, that DJing isn't just button pushing. If right, it right. was, then anybody could be a DJ. And it's right. actually an art form. It, it's It's... Being able to put together a collage of different music that fits absolutely. Uh, much and, harder than it sounds, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and you, absolutely. And you have to have, to, to do something that's really cogent and makes sense, you have to have strong musicianship skills. You just, because you can't just, it, and it's like, it's like composing with Soundtrap or Soundation. You, I mean, you can't put a drop every five seconds because that just wouldn't make sense. Same thing with DJing. I mean, you can't just mix things together ad nauseum and, and at will because it doesn't make sense and it, it's not, it, it doesn't sound pleasant to listen to. And you have to think about this. You have to plan it out. You have to, you know, put something in place. And it just speaks to their musicianship when they can do something like that successfully. So oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to chat with you uh, today, and I really appreciate Likewise. taking the time out of your uh, class. I am hoping that our paths cross soon and we can have some fantastic uh, craft beer. Whenever I see yeah. photos, <laughs> I remember seeing it at my favorite bar on the planet. Um, oh, my gosh. It's the best, isn't it? I get so jealous. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah, when, when we moved out here to Minnesota, um, I was trying to find the they, – they don't call them crack fries anymore. They call them cosmic fries. I but, heard. I uh, heard it must be some – Somebody got offended, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. But I was trying to find the the crack fry equivalent, and then wouldn't you know they they built a hopcat, so it was it was like my dream come true. So. Oh, that's great. <laughs>
Oh, fantastic. Well, anyway, I, I do hope our paths cross again soon, Tom. It's been Thanks, great chatting with you. And uh, I hope or I know that our listeners got a lot out of our conversation today. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.